Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Promotional support for this episode of the Hinckley Report podcast is provided by Trib Talk, an award-winning news podcast from the Salt Lake Tribune. Join host Benjamin Wood, Tribune reporters, and community guests as they dive into the latest topics affecting Utahns. Find Trib Talk at sltrib.com or by searching for Trib Talk on most major podcast platforms. Tonight on the Hinckley Report. Our nation is confronting a mental health crisis and stakes are high as states seek to save lives by curbing suicide rates. Utah's leaders help by passing new laws and providing additional resources. And educators on the front lines work to provide more robust mental health services in schools with the hopes of avoiding future tragedies. Good evening, and thank you for joining us for a special edition of the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Tonight, we are talking to three individuals making a difference in the mental health crisis facing our nation, and they are helping to prevent more loss of life. Joining us today, we have State Representative Steve Ellison, Laura Warburton, executive director of Live Hannah's Hope, and Kimberly Myers, Suicide Prevention and Crisis Services Administrator for the Utah Department of Health. Thank you all for being with us today. This is such an important topic for us as a country, but also as a state. This is a crisis by any definition, and the three of you represent such a very important part of what's happening in terms of the prevention, but also uh, the treatment itself. I'd like to just take a moment itself for a minute and go down the, r the row, and each of you kind of talk about how you got involved in this particular issue issue, what you're doing, what your organizations are doing, and then we'll get into some opportunities for what we all can do. Sure. So shortly after I got elected in my child's, uh, one of my children's middle school, they lost a couple of children to suicide, and one of the parents uh, tearfully pleaded with me to get involved. And then over the course of time, I actually lost three extended family members to suicide, and it became very personal. And then I quickly realized this is a very bipartisan issue that's really about life, liberty, and happiness. So those, those experiences really propelled me to, uh, to, to jump in and work on this issue and give it all that we, we can. Mm -hmm. Your primary tool has been through legislation also yes. in our legislature. Yes, so the legislature has been very proactive in addressing this issue. We've passed uh, a significant amount of legislation and we are starting to see some encouraging signs that some of those things are starting to work. Okay, very good. Laura. In 2014, I was involved with the legislature as a citizen advocate and actually had run an anti-bullying bill, parental notification bill, the same time that Representative Ellison first started, and I was doing that with my representative, Gage Froer. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2014, my own daughter ended her life by suicide. And um, a member of our family at the viewing came to me and said, Laura, don't do what ifs. 
And I thought about that. She says, don't do what ifs because that means that uh, you can go back and change history and you can't. She goes, do because of. Mm -hmm. So that's who I am anyway. I am, I see a problem, solve a problem. So instead of dwelling in the past, I decided to do because of Hannah. I would help change the laws because of Hannah. I started the organization Live Hannah's Hope and we educate and empower youth and um, do all kinds of fun things on the, that we do. So uh, I'm really grateful to be here to be able to talk about this. We appreciate this so much for you being able to instruct us with, with Live Hannah's Hope. Tell us what you do. Um, <laughs> I have a resilience award that we hand out 15 a year to youth across, seniors across Utah. Um, that is to highlight how other kids get over problems because I can lecture all I want, but really kids listen to other kids and what we really need is more resilience. Kids knowing that, that problems happen, but they're gonna get over. I mean, you're gonna get over it. You can get through it, so I do that. I do a lot of teaching. I'm heading to um, St. George this weekend to do QPR, which is Question, Persuade, and Refer. It's uh, evidence-based, best practices, communicate, or, um, community education program. Um, so I'll be teaching, I'll do CE for a bunch of, that's continuing education for a bunch of teachers and uh, teaching parents. And then when I talk to kids, I don't do that because usually it puts them at risk. Uh, I do partial, I use some of the QPR uh, strategies because they're, they work, uh, but I usually just tell the story and then help the kids realize that, that the people that they lost or if they're having problems that it's time to talk about it. So it's really important to hashtag, let's talk about it. Let's not, let's get okay with not being okay. So I do a bunch of other things. There's a bunch of resources on the site. Um, there's probably something I'm forgetting, but um, yeah, go play on the site. Yeah. I encourage everybody to do that. We will for sure. Okay. Thank you for that, Kim. Uh, sure, so my, I mean, my background, my training is in social work. And if, you know, you look at the, you know, what social, how they sort of define problems, it's really that a lot of individuals' problems are result of, you know, societal problems, community level problems, and, and yet so much of the work is done at the individual level to sort of say, okay, this is how we're gonna resolve those issues, is one-on-one -on -one therapy and, and things like that. So I was always looking for an opportunity to um, extend that beyond how do we address things both at the individual community and societal levels. And so I got an opportunity to work with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, um, working in suicide prevention. Um, and through that, um, was able to meet amazing people like Representative Elison and uh, Laura and um, work on some of these policies that created a state coordinator position with in Utah for suicide prevention. And so I've been fortunate to uh, serve in that role since it was created by, by Representative Elison and the legislature since 2013. And I never really thought that, you know, I never saw my path being specifically, you know, in suicide prevention, although, um, it was really clear to me uh, from early on in the mental health field that it was an area we were not prepared for and we were ignoring. I got lots of training in lots of different things and none of that was ever specific to how to respond when somebody tells you that they want to end their own life. And, and so shifting um, to ensure that we do training and that we engage um, 
you know, I had lost a dear friend to suicide um, as uh, somebody just out of high school, and, and we never did talk about it. Yeah. And so having an opportunity to say, we're going to improve the workforce and help the workforce be better prepared, as well as communities, as well as society at large, to say, like, we can't just have this in the shadows anymore. We can't not talk about it. Um, too many people are affected. So it's been a real honor to be able to do this work. I'm glad you're doing it, because we do want to talk about it. As, as we do, though, Representative, I think it's important for us to frame this issue. How significant is this problem? Give us the Utah uh, perspective on what's happening and the realities of the number, because as we just found out, we've got to talk about it for real. Sure. So. Over the past five years, we've lost about 3,200 citizens to suicide. It's the uh, leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24 in Utah. And to just put those numbers in perspective, uh, 3,200 people is more than the combined populations of Daggett and Paiute County. In fact, just in the past year alone, we lost uh, over 600 citizens, which is uh, greater than the population of Huntsville, where Laura's from. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we had uh, some strange, you know, mosquito-borne virus that was taking that many lives, we would dramatically rally the troops and unleash our public health resources to address it, and that's what we've been trying to do. Uh, so it's uh, an issue that is affecting the entire nation. It's important to note, it's not just a Utah issue. Uh, Utah sits kind of right in the middle of what they call the suicide belt. All of the Rocky Mountain states, including Alaska, have have high rates, and 49 out of the 50 states over the past decade have been seeing their rates increase. So, uh, the time is now to do something about it, and that's what we're uh, we're doing. Absolutely right. Let's talk about some of those causes, Kim. When, in, in your work, uh, we see these increases in numbers. Have you been able to identify a couple of reasons why you think that's the case? Yeah, I mean, that's the, I think, the million-dollar question that everybody wants to know the answer to. Um, I think there are a few things, um, you know, that, that, that are theories that people are pointing to. I mean, one definite overlap is the, um, the opioid crisis that has hit the nation at large um, and, and in Utah as well, and which has a significant overlap with the, the problem of Explain suicide. Explain that. Explain why there's an overlap. Um, well... There's a, I mean, a lot of reasons, right? Like, suicide is often driven by um, by things like extreme distress, where you do not feel like you have the ability to mitigate that in any way. You're, all the other options seem like they're not, they've been used and they're not working. Um, and, you know, when somebody has an, an addiction to opioids, um, a lot of times you, you lose your social connections through that addiction. Um, you might lose you know, jobs, friends, family, you know, people, you become isolated, you, um, you know, all of these things that sort of drive distress are, occur, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of, you know, serious addiction. Um, and so there's a lot of overlap where people who have addictions might end up uh, taking their life or the addiction causes an overdose. So, so there's a lot of interconnection there sort of the term that was coined by the Brookings Institute um, are deaths of despair, and these deaths of despair, opioid, you know, overdose, drug overdose, suicide, and alcohol-related deaths are really changing the face of mortality in our country as a whole, driving down sort of the average age 
um, that people are living until and really having a, a significant impact in our communities. And they're really, this is the health issues of our time. Mm -hmm. in interestingly, we haven't, we, we've seen in the past three years, a three year slide in the average life expectancy of Americans. We haven't seen that tr three, a three year trend similar to that since over a century ago when the Spanish flu pandemic and World mm -hmm. War I were causing high mortality numbers. So it's, it's really remarkable in terms of we made so many strides on cancer, mm -hmm. heart disease, and other public health issues. This needs to be the focus now of our time. Mm -hmm. Laura, why is it so hard for us to really talk about this? You know, right after Hannah died, I had already been involved in politics for several years, and I was really cautious about things I would say online and really cautious about my image, right? And after she died, I realized that I had taught her to do the same thing, to be careful about what she said and how that came across, and um, not to share anything too ugly, right? Just be out there helping people. That's the most important part, just help people. And while helping people is good, I have since learned that uh, the best way I can help people is by being real. So right after she died, I got online and I was very honest about my grief. I grieved online and I grieved loud. And I know everybody has a different way of grieving and I honor that. But I can't tell you how many people came to me and said thank you for giving me permission to not be okay. And it, and it really does come down to there's gonna be a moment in somebody's time in life when they are suicidal where they really feel alone they really feel like there's no hope and they really feel like they'll be, everybody else will be better off if they just leave, right? And all of those things are not true, but it's true in their broken, hurting mind. Right. So if they can come out and talk about it, and if the people around them cannot judge them, uh, they'll judge them, but if they cannot be critical, we all judge, just not be critical. Then I think. How, how do you help with what, what Kim was talking about a moment ago, where a lot of this is like a, a condensed period of time. It's a decision based on circumstances now, not seeing what happens farther out. How, how do you talk about to kids about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the reality is that for most people, um, these suicidal crises, you know, suicide risk is so fluid. And usually if somebody, you know, what the data tells us is that if somebody dies by suicide, about half of the people made the decision to end their life within the 10 minutes of actually mm. make, taking action on ending their life. And so sort of, you know, Laura talked earlier about building like resiliency and building skills, uh, problem solving skills, distress tolerance skills, coping skills to be able to say, you know, yes, I feel terrible now. How, you know, it's kind of the idea of like, how do you normalize the fact that feeling like you can't do this anymore is part of the human experience, that doesn't mean you have to act on those thoughts. And how do we teach skills so that people don't act on those thoughts? I have lots of thoughts <laughs> that I don't act on, thank goodness, right? Um, and, and some thoughts that I do, but I, I weigh decisions, I think of the consequences, I think long term, you know, I have these skills to help me sort of decipher what to do with what kinds of thoughts. So we need to do that and help people, you know, stay through those really hard moments. So one of the things that I've seen over the last five years is I've had parents reach out to me on numerous occasions is there I don't know what to do for my child and so I tell them what their child is basically experiencing if they're doing this and, and don't be afraid to take them to the hospital that won't ruin their life for the rest of their lives you know it's statistically factual that if they go to the hospital they come out they may be even more suicidal but they don't complete 
and so not often, so it reduces that risk. But I tell them, tell your child straight up, um, you're not a burden to me. Don't say, do you feel like you're a burden to me? You know, they may not even know that they feel that way. But if you say to them, you're not a burden to me, we are family, no matter what is going on, we'll get through this. Not, and this is the philosophy of Laura here, <laughs> I, I think that um, contagion, because we didn't have anybody, Hannah was very popular, and she didn't think anyone liked her which just goes to show how broken her mind was. She had several concussions, which is a whole nother topic. But we didn't have any, any of her friends. We had over a thousand people at the funeral and they were her friends. And so I think what happens is that well-meaning adults, caregivers in their lives are saying things like, don't ever do anything that stupid. Don't ever be that selfish. If you ever do that to our family, and so, if a person's already suicidal or depressed, are they then gonna be okay with telling their parents something is wrong? So it's really about making the conversation comfortable. Suicide doesn't have to be that uncomfortable to talk about it, it's just a book cover. It's a book cover that when you open it, there is a bunch of other things going on, like alcoholism or anything else, drug use, it's just unresolved issues inside. So let's open up the book chapter by chapter and, and see what we can do about healing. I think that's a really important point is that, you know, we have a real focus, so we work in suicide prevention and we talk about suicide and death and, you know, this as this outcome that we're trying to prevent. But suicide is, is not in and of itself necessarily the problem. What it is for an individual is it feels like it's the solution to a problem. And so, what we really have to get better at in prevention are what are these drivers, what are these problems that are causing people to feel like that is the solution, what are their individual level, is it you know, related to addiction, mental health disorders, is it related to conflict in relationships, is it related to you know, all of these other issues and that's where we have to really focus because you know, it is all of those drivers and the things beneath the surface that really, you know, or what matter and we certainly don't want suicide prevention to be only the business of keeping people alive to live in miserable distressful situations we want people to live meaningful engaging happy lives so how to create how do we create those conditions for folks um, on an ongoing basis all right uh, to get to this issue you also have to start talking about some of the the instruments out there that people are using. And Representative, uh, I want to talk about guns for just a moment because this is something that always comes up when you talk about it. But but mostly I want to, I want to talk a bit about a clip we're going to show, uh, a movie that was going to pre premiere soon called Wake Up. And it's not going to be a movie that people are, with issues that people are traditionally talking about on guns, as people might suspect. And I want to show this clip. This will premiere soon. The director was kind enough to give us a, a sneak look at this little peek here. Uh, at maybe describe the show just a little bit and particularly as we get ready to talk about guns with this film. Sure, <clears throat> so the documentary is about suicide prevention efforts across the country. And it actually has several stories, focuses on several stories here in Utah. Um, and it was over a year in the making. But I think, uh, as we'll see here in just a second, it's a, a unique confluence that we don't often see in politics. Typically this issue is so divisive. But um, this, this movie really uh, kind of just t tells the, the picture, uh, tells the story of how we can really work together on a common cause. And this issue is not just bipartisan, it should be nonpartisan. Okay, thank you for that intro. Let's watch the clip. Like 20 years ago, suicide groups weren't talking about firearms and firearm groups weren't talking about suicide. It didn't seem 
good enough to just say, oh, well, it's a controversial area, so let's not wade into it. I was very, very skeptical of Kathy Barber. As far as I could tell, she was not a gun owner. But I have come to rely and to trust Kathy. She's an East Coast liberal, and I love her. <laughs> when I was working with Clark Kaposian, he had said, okay, I've got an idea for a PSA. And my heart sunk because I thought, oh, I hate suicide PSAs because they're always these doom and gloom, everything's getting worse. And then he said his idea, and it's produced now. You can, you can uh, look it up. It's great. Last year, I was at my lowest, going through some pretty serious depression. A couple of friends of mine stopped by the house and said they were worried about me. Said they'd feel a lot better if they could hold on to my firearms until things turned around. I think they saved my life. And it's like, perfect. It's a guy talking about depression. It's a story of resilience. It's a story of recovery. It's not anti-gun. It's saying, hey, I accept this culture, but here's a great bro way to show that you care and to actually make someone save her. Such a powerful clip already. Uh, Representative Ellison, we don't always have people talking about guns without a political lens, but clearly that's what's happened here. Was, yeah. This is Clark Opposian, the state's number one gun uh, supporter and advocate, and he's in this film talking about this. How significant is that? Well, the interesting thing about Clark is he's also my constituent. And the first time I called Clark up and I said, hey, can we get together and, and visit about an important issue? He, he said, sure. And I said, I want your help on suicide prevention as it relates to firearms. And uh, Clark will laugh at this now too, but at that point he, he laughed and he thought that was kind of a ridiculous uh, request, but now he's really become uh, a powerful advocate and for some of the reasons we, we just saw there. It's interesting, the legislature uh, commissioned a report from the Harvard School of Public Health recently on the role of suicides, or the, the firearms play in suicides, and we found that 85% of firearm deaths in Utah are suicides. Nationally, the number is, is still above 50%, and that is shocking to a lot of people. So what a lot of the experts have been telling us is that if uh, families, individuals can limit access to firearms uh, to people in the midst of a mental health crisis or just, just struggling, particularly children, that can make the simple difference whether they, they live or die. Mm -hmm. So from a policy perspective, we've been focused on this for uh, several years and we've given out, I don't know, Kim, how many 100,000 plus trigger locks? Uh, maybe 200? Two, yeah. 200,000 trigger locks. And a bill we passed last session uh, facilitated a coupon where people can buy a biometric safe uh, that they can have quick access to their firearms if they need it. Um, but most importantly, uh, they have the firearm uh, completely secure from individuals that shouldn't have access to it. Mm -hmm. And so we are starting to see some encouraging trends in the data as it relates to fatalities and, and the methods. And it's interesting, um, individuals who, sometimes I'll say, well, they'll, they can't get access to a gun, they'll go on, use another method. It's just false. Nine out of 10 people who uh, survive a, a suicide attempt will not go on to die by suicide. And because it's so impulsive, typically, as we mentioned, 10 to 15 minutes from the time an individual thinks about it till the time they make the attempt, 
it's during that period that is critical that the firearms are secure. Um, I, I've actually brought with me today a, a biometric safe that um, you can open in about one second with the touch of your fingerprint. Yeah. And I have a, a, a trigger lock here, which is a really easy thing people can use. The state gives these away for free, a lot of times at libraries. You can buy them at your local store also. Um, you can also purchase the, uh, the, the, the biometric safe if that's of something that's of interest to uh, a firearm owner. Uh, one other tool uh, we have, and Kim, maybe take a moment about this, even though I know you sponsored the legislation, Representative, the Safe UT app. You're talking to kids about, uh, I want to show a graphic so people can see where it is. And, and take a minute and talk to us about what that is and how it helps. Sure, so the Safe UT app, you can go on um, any app store and download Safe UT app, and it is has two functions. One is a tip line, and you have to specifically be enrolled in a school for that in that way. If there's a problem at school, a threat of violence, somebody drinking in the bathroom, whatever it might be, you can submit a tip and it will go to the school administrators. But the crisis chat function is something that anybody could use um, and where you can open up the app and just say, hey, I need someone to talk to or I'm struggling or I feel like I want to end my life or you know whatever it might be that, that anybody is experiencing and they'll be connected with a uh, a mental health professional a certified crisis worker um, and get a response back in a really short amount of time and be able to get clinical support over the use of an app it's the same uh, uh, crisis line facility answers the Utah crisis line which can be accessed uh, via phone um, over 888-273-8255 uh, so these are licensed professionals who are skilled crisis workers who are there 24 7 365 days a week for support for anybody who needs it that number is on the screen right. we encourage everyone to use that number if they need it can I last share word, something? Word. So my, my daughter, we noticed on her phone, the very last person that she called um, was her therapist. Now, they are not a crisis line, and it was um, with a national, or not a na well, national company, I believe, a big hospital here in Utah, and she couldn't get through, and that was the last number. Now, she had a concussion. She couldn't remember anything. And so for her, one of the very first bills because of was I was involved with Safe UT. I love that app. Thank I, you for that. Yeah, QPR, I can go in and where there's not even resources, I'm going down to, to Washington County and I started calling the, the hotlines down there and, and they, they're non-existence except for one. So I can take Safe UT down there well, and we can do that's that. It's gonna be after the last word, but we need everyone to check out that app yes. and to help wherever they can, make sure everyone has that. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and the great work that you are doing on this very, very important issue. If you or someone you know is at risk of self-harm, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 and download the Safe UT app. Please join us on Monday, October 14th at 9 o'clock p.m. where we have an opportunity for KUED to rebroadcast Hope Lives, a film about preventing team suicide. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.